If you open your outlines, if you don't have an outline, raise your hand. We'll see that one is brought to you. Does anybody need an outline? If you need an outline, just raise your hand. We'll see one's brought to you. Right here in the front, I need an outline. Me? All right. Ecclesiastes 7.29 is an introduction to the study of anthropology. Anthropos, logos, two Greek words that mean anthropos, man, logos, study of discourse concerning, words about. The study of man. It's an important area of study for us. Every child asks, where did I come from? It's just part of our inquisitive nature. And that's not wrong. We should ask questions. God said, subdue the earth, learn about it for the benefit of man and the glory of God. And that's first commission there given to man. Learn about it. Where did I come from? God does not leave us like animals roaming around an anthill. He gives us answers. Where did I come from? So, the book of beginnings, Genesis, describes where we came from. And throughout the Bible, we see what we're to do while we're here. And then we see where we're going. God answers these perplexing questions of life. And those are considered within the realm of anthropology. What a shame that anthropology has taught by the world's wisdom is in rebellion against God. What a sad, incorrect history is given for man in the study of anthropology. For those of you that have had the opportunity, uh, as I have in some instances, to take classes in the university setting in anthropology, you realize you simply have to unlearn that to which you're exposed there. And use the Bible as a screen or a sieve to get all the trash out so that what comes through is pure and holy unto God. And you must be carefully using the Bible that way in your daily life. It is to be a screen to get all the things that are improper to which you are regularly exposed from influencing your soul, influencing your life. Lo, this only have I found, Ecclesiastes 7.29 records, that God has made men upright, but they have sought out many inventions. Well, the modern invention, of course, the one that uh, confused me and caught me up for a spell, is the view of evolution. I was an evolutionist and I was a Christian. And I know Christians can believe many rotten things and be terribly wrong and totally inconsistent. Because I was. I was a Christian. Talk about inconsistency. We ought to be glad some people are inconsistent. Because if they were consistent, what a rebellious mess we would have around us. And I talked to brethren who, they believe the truth, but they're very inconsistent because then they say things that imply they don't believe it. And I'm always glad to... Uh, have some confirmation in personal discussion that they really do believe the truth. They just got a, a lot to learn about how to be consistent with the Word of God with that truth. I was very inconsistent, and, I, and, I, and we all still are to some extent, so it's something we, gotta, we have to constantly work with and use the Word of God to guide us through. But as an evolutionist, I believe somehow we can harmonize that which the world taught with that which God taught. And it just can't be done. The God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, and you'll not get the truth out of them. So the mythology of evolution seems to have spread rampant over the world today, and it's the same old myth God said, Genesis 3, 5, or that Satan said, relating to God's statements, that doth God, know, God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as God's knowing. That means experiencing personally, good and evil. It's the same old myth. Evolution makes you the highest and best of all beings, and you're the God of this world in that sense, and under and in control of it. 
the accuracies of creation, though, are verified abundantly around us. The time of creation. Now, if you look at the back portion of the outline, I'm not going to go through the eight evidences that I've presented for a, a young earth. It is not billions of years old. It is not millions of years old, and modern science does not support that ancient dating of the earth or the universe. There is ample evidence to demonstrate the authentic record of the scriptures is true. The creation did occur, as you'll see in the very last chart. I took the time to write out all those Bible verses for you as well. So you can, you can follow those verses right back to the approximate time of creation about 6,000 years ago. And I'm presuming the genealogies are father-son relationship, which I believe is the most appropriate in those passages as well. And if you extend them beyond that to grandfather-grandson relationships, then you can't allow for creation more than about 10,000 years ago at the very most and maintain any kind of consistency and continuity in the scriptures. So the creation of this universe and that which it contains, and I believe then it was all good as created by the hand of God, and that included all of it, was about 6,000 or so years ago. And God called it into being ex nihilo out of nothing, and he created all the various kinds of creatures that we see around us today. The gourd old gorilla here, he's a good friend of mine, belongs to my boy, he lets me play with him whenever I go and preach places. This is Gordo the Gorilla. He, he created Gordo the Gorilla to share the earth with us. Now, he prepared the universe. Some people look and say, well, there must be something else in God's plan. Look at the majesty of the universe. He put that out there to show us his bite. Man only is in the image of God. The universe and all that it contains was preparation for the culminating event of creation, the creation of man. And man rebelled and polluted it and said to God, I'll do my own thing I'll rebel against that which you have made. I'll rebel against that which you are. But God created man in his image. And even in that rebellious state, through the fall of Adam, which we have all inherited, there is a remnant of that image of God. There's no allegiance with Satan. These rock stars and many others, cults and such, involving Satanism, who think they can make a league with Satan, are foolish. Even the worst of men has some remnant of that image of God. And Satan hates it. And there's no allegiance with Satan. He hates mankind because it's that which God created in his image. So all the universe was laid out there. Not that billions of, of planets could exist for other forms of life, but so that man could see the majesty of God. So there's no beings evolving out there in the universe anywhere. This is the place God created unique in the universe for his image for man. What a shame man has rebelled. Adam was created highly intelligent. In the study of anthropology, as it's conducted in the universities of the world, which are in open rebellion against God, the concept is presented that somewhere in the past an ape man wandered around with low intelligence as an animal. And man's intelligence began to evolve. The Bible record is totally different. God created Adam in his image, perfect from the hand of God. You can count on genius there in Adam. I think he would make the geniuses that we consider of the last few centuries insignificant by comparison to his capabilities. Man did not start out as some kind of half-animalistic creature. And the evidences are abundant to demonstrate that. We're still trying to figure out how the pyramids were built. God created all these creatures that he placed on this earth in preparation for man. And he created them to share the earth with us. So the answers are clear as to why there are similarities. These similarities between gorilla or ape and man do not indicate one will turn into another. They 
simply indicate we share the earth as similarities in all these vehicles out here. Don't indicate one will evolve into those. And man seems to, mankind, as he describes evolution, always wants to make it look like the, uh, the lowest form evolved into the best. And I've said all along, if that's true, let's go out and get some of the lowest forms and just wait till they evolve into some of the better forms and park them out there in our driveways and watch them evolve into something worth a lot more. It does not happen that way. I mean, we make them separately, and we make them similarly to share the road. God made us separately, and he made these creatures similarly to share the earth. That's good design. I'm an engineer. That's good engineering. And God's a better engineer than we are with our automobiles, which we design in a similar fashion to share the road with unique differences. God designed us to share the earth with unique differences. So, yes, we share. Therefore, the chemical structure of man and the creatures, the animals, are going to be similar. Why, if they weren't, the chemistry of your body wouldn't digest a banana. And I know the Pittmans like banana because I saw them eating down there at breakfast. For breakfast, I saw some of the Pittman families. And that didn't mean they're closer to the apes than some of the rest of us who did not have bananas. It's because they may like them better. No, God created us to share. So there will be similarities. Why, we all ex exist now under the influence of electromagnetic radiation. And within one realm of that, we're able to see it. We call that visible light. Gordo was going to walk through the jungle and not bump his noggin on every tree. He'd better have eyes somewhat like mine. That doesn't mean he's going to change it to me. That just means God wanted him to see where he's going, just like he wants me to see where I'm going. And so in all the large creatures, God put this tremendous engineering design of the eye into their body so they don't bump each other. Not because one will turn into another. Don't ever be fooled by the evolutionary argument of similarities. And conclude, as I did years ago, caught up in this myth, that because there are similarities, one will turn into another. We have too much evidence that will not occur. That house has sat next door to this church I don't know how many years. It's a lot smaller than this church, but it's never going to turn into a bigger and better thing like this church. It's a house out there. And the ape will always be an ape and the gorilla always a gorilla because that's God's pattern and plan for this creation. Now, Adam created perfect from the hand of God had a body structure with many things that we are not using possibly today because of changes in our environment. In the period before the worldwide flood of Noah and this creation period, I pictured it somewhat like this, where the green balloon represents the earth. And this canopy that surrounds it, I believe it's described on the second day of creation in Genesis chapter 1, verses 6, 7, and 8. And then the waters below the firmament is the water on the surface of the earth. And then the firmament where the birds fly this air inside the clear balloon, and then the protective canopy on the outside shields the earth. See, I didn't even hurt. I couldn't even get to it. It bouncing all around. We're shielded. We were in the past somewhat like this from dangerous influences upon us, but we're not shielded in that fashion today. In this, in this environment, there was much more vegetation, so along with this early anthropological period, and you'll notice I've divided it in, into four periods of anthropology, the creation, Antediluvial period, that's before the flood of Noah, the flood period, and the post-diluvian period of today. There's yet one coming, the future period, where God has prepared special things for those that are his, special place. So we might include that as well, but we'll deal with that tomorrow in the eschatology studies that will be presented to us. So with those divisions of the past, the world was significantly different in this first period. Plus vegetation, semi-tropical, God had these huge creatures, the dinosaurs, he created them at the same time as man. Don't be fooled by the myth. The 
dinosaurs predate man by millions of years. We find fossil man in the same strata as dinosaurs. Now, we don't find as many fossil men because they were very much mobile. They were very smart. And so they, weigh, they escaped to the highest mountains into the last days of the flood of Noah, and they were the last buried. Therefore, the sedimentary deposits were less likely to cover them. And they were eaten by its scavengers of the sea. That's why you don't find huge populations buried, but we do find the stupider animals, the dumb animals buried all over the place because they didn't get out of the way like man was able to. In this period, before the worldwide flood of Noah, man was in rebellion against God. And it's rebelliousness spread over the world. He created Adam and Eve out of Adam. Some have said women have one less rib than men because he took a rib from Adam. Now stop and think about that. Uh, once we find that, we found that wasn't true, a lot of people ridiculed Christians because of that. But stop and think about that. You get your finger cut off, your child isn't born with a missing finger. So Adam got his rib taken out. His child wasn't born with a missing rib whether it was a boy or a girl, so there's no missing ribs. Same number. God protected us from harming our children environmentally by coating within every cell of our body. This is called the dioxyribonucleic acid molecule, and this is a very long molecule, and every little section of it is called a gene. And there are a lot of genes which make up these deoxyribonucleic acid molecules, which when coated with a protein, somewhat like the protein coating on your hair, you're off your hair, uh, we typically then refer to them as a chromosome. God has coded a message in here to protect our children from our stupidity. So you cut your finger off, you haven't affected this code that, that God put there to tell how to make your child. That's great. God has protected our children with that and provided in the system a procreation, a continuation of mankind down through the centuries. But as man spread over the world, to the population probably of about a billion people, using conservative population growth statistics for geometric progressions, we can calculate in that early period of time from the creation about 6,000 years ago to about 1,656 years later, man had spread and filled the earth with his rebellion. A billion people at least were alive, basically equivalent to the world population in 1850, I believe. And man in rebellion spoke one world language and lived to be nearly 1,000 years old in this protected environment. Semi-tropical worldwide, protected from cosmic radiation, harmful influences from outer space that today affect us and shorten our lives, and man spread wickedness. One language. How much wickedness could man spread if he lived to be a thousand years old? Don't begrudge the fact you'll die before you're a hundred, because if you live to be older, so would all the evil people. And it seems with only a hundred years, evil seems to run rampant over this earth. So I believe that's God's blessing to protect us from further abuse from those who are wicked and in rebellion against God. So I don't begrudge God that I don't have as many years possibly yet to live as I have already lived. Because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that's true for every Christian. So we don't begrudge God's plan. He knows what's best. And we trust him. In this time of rebellion with man spreading over the world, the wickedness was abundant. And if you read the passage in Genesis chapter 6, You'll see that that's all God saw in the heart of man was wickedness. And he told Noah, who found grace in his eyes to build an ark, and Noah built this huge ark of over 1.4 million cubic feet, large enough to hold all the known kinds of creatures that lived, including dinosaurs, although they may, been, they may have been amphibian and not had to go onto the ark, but there was room for those dinosaurs. He didn't have to take the 
a uh, Brachiosaurus that was this big, maybe 200 years old. He could have taken one that was 15 or 20 years old and a lot smaller and fit right in the ark very conveniently. I mean, the evolutionists think they got us because of their huge size. Remember, we've got bigger things than this alive today. The largest creature ever known to live is the blue whale, and they're still alive. And this, so this is nothing in terms of size. We've got bigger things than this alive today. There's nothing to a dinosaur and man living at the same time and man having dominion over them because they were big and stupid. And this period of rebelliousness, the world was filled such that God purposed to destroy all whose nostrils was the breath of life. You read in the early Genesis account that man was a worker of metals. And the passage in Genesis chapter 4 describes man's intelligence and the building of cities. The question is answered, who was Cain's wife? Why, in Genesis 4, his wife had to have been one of the, it says in the Bible, Adam had sons and daughters. It would have either been one of his sisters or who knows, Cain may have been two years, 200 years old when he got married. It might have been a niece. Or great needs. I mean, I'm down even farther. We don't know. Maybe, maybe even farther over than that time, the, the amount of time may have passed. But Cain took a wife from amongst those who had come from Adam. And see, Thomas Paine and so many others thought they had us Christians in a corner when they said, well, who's Cain's wife? Just read the Bible. It's all in there. Cain took a wife from amongst those that came from Adam. Would have been one then of his relatives. That's not unusual. That was common back then. Abraham married his half-sister Sarah. And there was not an accumulation of genetic deficiency that produced any difficulty from that kind of marriage either. So in this period of rebellion with man running rampant over the earth, God purposed to destroy all of his nostrils as in the breath of, had the breath of life. And you know where it is, Genesis 7 11? God's judgment fell, the floodwaters rained down, and the world is drastically different today. So in our study of anthropology, we must include one of the most significant and cataclysmic changes in the surface of the earth and in our environment, the worldwide flood of Noah. So that's the second period you'll note here. The worldwide flood of, well, I include that really. It's the third period. Antediluvial was the second. Creation, antediluvial, and the worldwide flood of Noah. Now we have buried in the ground as a result of that worldwide flood that lasted over a year. Genesis 7:11 to chapter 8, verse 13 says, it's over a year, not 40 days and 40 nights. The rainwaters came down in torrents 40 days and 40 nights. The flood lasted over a year and buried everything. That little deer I just dropped in there. See a little deer? And this is how fossils are formed, you may recall. In the mixing and slurring effects of the flood of Noah, we have the dinosaurs buried. We have all kinds of creatures buried. And we dig them out today. Here we are in 1990. And we do find some fossil man. We pull them out of the ground today. We pull out a lot of things. And evolutionists want to call them all man. <laughs> Australopithecus. That's a word that means southern ape. And you know what they've got? A southern ape. But no, they want to say, it's a missing link. And they yank out, well, this is a deer, but I mean, they yank out all kinds of stuff. They're going to call it man, Australopithecus. He has small brains, an ape-sized brain. Why do you have an ape-sized brain? Because the ape-sized, because the ape-sized, ape-type of creature. That's why, Australopithecus. Then Janthropus, that means East African man. First found in Africa in the late 50s. Well, everybody agrees, he's now an ape. I mean, they're, they're striking out every time they pull something out. 
Even the evolutionists, they realized they made a mistake. He's just an ape. Homo habilis, that's Latin. That means handyman. They yanked him out of the ground. Well, they found a tool, maybe, I don't know, 10 or 15 feet away. And they said, well, this must have been his tool. Well, he's a handyman. He's just an ape. That's all he was. Yanked him out of the ground, found him in Africa. He's clearly an ape also by using cranial studies of brain capacity and general shaping. He's an ape. Australia pick us. They're all oh, Donald Johansson is now running all over Africa. And he yanks out Lucy. Makes the front page of the paper. Made the parade section of the, you know, the colorful section in some of the newspapers and all. And, he, and he's on television. He spoke here in Cincinnati with Lucy fossils. Yanked it out of the ground. The first thing he did when he pulled the skull up, he said, I have found it. He, and he danced around. He's shouting and everything. Now, you can't tell what kind of skull you've got until you've done extensive study. He didn't know what he had. But he said, I got it. I got it. And he went around. Right away, he's claiming he found the missing link. And it's Lucy, the mother of mankind. Because he's a woman, uh, uh, apparently. And so he, uh, he didn't even know what he had. Now, in the more careful studies, it's pretty clear it's a, maybe a varied form of ape. Uh, but an ape creature also. However, he still claims it's a missing link because if he doesn't, he's going to lose all his funding. I mean, nobody's going to pay him hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to Africa and find apes. We got him in the zoo. We got him all over the place. He better find something. When I was in science, and I know scientists are taught to do this, because we all did it. We uh, called it fudging the data or faking the data. I mean, uh, when you know you got to get up, you got to get this end product, and you know, or you think at least, you're going to flunk this class. And some of these teachers are so stupid to flunk somebody if they don't do it the way they want it, that even if it comes out with good learning experience, that's stupidity on the part of teachers, as far as I'm concerned. So recognizing that, um, I fell prey to it also. I remember going down to the chemical plant down here and buying my chemicals. I was supposed to make them. It took, it's supposed to take a whole week to make them. I don't encourage people to cheat. I don't mean that. But I want you to know scientists are taught to cheat. But I was taught to cheat. It could take me a week in organic chemistry, three hours every afternoon, set in that lab down there, you see, and make this little piddling amount of uh, this chemical. I went down and bought me a whole bottle. I shared it with some of my friends. We dumped it in everything, turned it in. Now, like I said, I don't encourage cheating. I don't, I don't mean that. So I want you, want you to know that uh, all sin comes short of the glory of God. And so you can't trust the scientists either because they're going to lie. It's like everybody, real estate men lie. I know that. I'm one of those too. I've been that. And I know real estate men lie. Teachers lie. I mean, I know people lie. Factory workers lie. Carpenters lie. Scientists lie. I heard that. John said preachers lie. Well, we know there are a lot of those lying too. You better trust God and what he said. All right, on down through some of the home. You can look through that whole list. Java man, Peking man. I said, you know why they call it Peking man? They actually named it because it was found near a window ledge, I think. Some people call it Tom. That's Peking Tom. No, it really wasn't. That's a joke. Peking man was found in Peking, China. That's where it was. And he wasn't Peking. He was dead. It wasn't near a window ledge or anything else. But we can't even find the fragments. In World War II, they were all destroyed, apparently. Oh, the evolutionists say, well, we know it's the missing link, but we can't find it. It's missing. <laughs> That's the problem. All those links are missing. There isn't any such thing as a missing link between man and ape. Well, they came up with one tooth one day, presented it at the Scopes trial as evidence of ape man. Oh, they made a mockery of Christians in that trial, didn't they? 
uh, even though they lost, but they made a mockery in the press of it all, and the missing link was there, but they had a tooth from the missing man and found it in Nebraska. When they, after some period of time, more of the skeleton was discovered, it's found to be an extinct pig. I mean, Miss Piggy fooled the world's greatest evolutionist. And not only that, you got the Piltdown Man fraud, and on and on it goes. I mean, fraud after fraud after fraud. Well, you read through a few of the others. I've listed out for you in the outline. In this period since the flood of Noah, man disembarks. Noah and his children, they begin to spread over the world. I'm going to trace very quickly the way I believe they spread and the races as they spread is described in Acts or Genesis chapters 10 and 11. As I read those passages and trace some of the linguistic connections to those names and various... I believe they spread this way. The Hamitic peoples were to be the world's great servants. Now that's no excuse for slavery. Our society tried to say that's, that means you, you can make slaves out of all the descendants of Ham. Now that's a, that's a lie. That's Satan's deception to cause confusion amongst us. That would be the servants of man. Hey, I'm, I'm a servant. But, but in terms of society... Don't, 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 don't put me in bonds and make me a slave like we treated slaves here and tried to use, some people try to use the Bible for that sort of thing. The people, the Hermetic peoples have been the world's great inventors. Now Arthur Custance wrote a series of books that related to this, the inventiveness of the Hermetic people, uh, chapters in some of his books. He, tra- he has a very thorough documentation that traces some of the common things we use, such as the can opener, the pliers, the broom, back to Hermetic origin. They've really been manservants. They're the basic inventors of the world. And they seem to have spread into Africa, descendants of Kush, and then on over in the southern part of India because they became the world's great explorers as they became very inventive, and move up into Sinna. Now the the son called Sin of the descendancy from Ham described in Genesis chapter 10. Sin, remember Japanese were called the Sino people, or the Chinese the Sino people. We say China. I believe those are descendants of Sin. So I believe the pigmented skinned people of the world are descendants of Ham. That includes then the, the African, the Southern uh, Asian, on up into the, the Far East, and on then into America. The red skinned people, descendants of Ham. Now we're talking smart people. Where'd cavemen live? Oh, the evolution want to put cavemen somewhere way back in history there. Cavemen live at the same time as civilized men. Read Job chapter 30. Cavemen lived when Job was alive. And they are people who were thieves. They were stealing from others. And they had to go live in caves because if they got found, they got hung. And they were braying like animals out in the... Now, now, I'm not saying some people live in caves today. They're building houses now back in caves. I don't mean they're all thieves. But you understand, if you are a thief, you better get away from society. And they lived out by themselves. A lot of them did. So many of these cavemen were just that, living at the same time as what we call civilized man, and out somewhere in rebellion against God. This man then continues his spread over the earth and comes down into the Americas. I took a group of people not long ago about over into a group of seniors down to the Yucatan Peninsula. We went back into the jungle to the Mayan ruins and saw Chichen Itza, which is the great pyramids of the Americas. They rival the pyramids of Egypt. These are stupid people. Man in his concept of evolution, wants to present the history of mankind as this. Starts out stupid and then begins to develop into, and doesn't this puff them up? We're the highest of all. We're the smartest ones ever. We're the highest evolved of them all. Better look again. We're not sure how they did this in the jungle. 
I mean, when I went jungle all over the place, right out in it, these huge pyramids, this massive civilization. So what happened to it? Trace the history and see. It's not man evolving, it's man devolving. When man continues his rebellion against God, he becomes so decadent that his civilization collapses as they kill one another off in human sacrifices. That's what happens here. And I believe God caused their collapse when the Spaniards came in. And that was, although they were... They were like the Babylonians coming in. They weren't much better, but they came in and destroyed a nation that was offering human sacrifice. So I don't look down as, to that as some great nation of the past. They polluted humanity in rebellion against God. And on and on it goes throughout these uh, studies of anthropology. You've got to be careful. You can't believe these liars whose items are buried in the ground. People lie today. People lied back then. Watch out for the archaeologist. Watch out for the historian who wants to believe those liars. So they dig up the stones, and Pharaoh says, this came from Egypt. This is an actual reproduction, a little smaller scale, of the Rosetta Stone. And it was the Rosetta Stone that unlocked all our understanding of the ancient Egyptian languages. Found in 1798 by Napoleon's army as they were fighting the British. They were digging there in the ground, and one of the lieutenants and his company of men hit this huge stone, and they uncovered it, and it had written in it ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics. People thought that was just pictures. They didn't know those. They thought those Egyptians were ignorant people. They didn't know that was real writing, complex writing. We're going back to hieroglyphics. You notice that? Look down. Look on the road. We've got these hieroglyphic symbols of a guy crossing the road. doesn't say anything anymore. It's just a hieroglyphic. That means it's kind, of, because it's kind of a universal language. Hey, I'm serious. Hieroglyphics are broader linguistically than alphabet. People in China can come over here and see a guy walking across the road on a sign, and they know that means somebody's walking across, and they better watch out. So hieroglyphics are much broader language than what we have. These are smart people. They had picture writing. But we couldn't read it. Why? The archaeologists and historians of the period before this discovery, they said, Abraham, look at the Bible, it says he had camels. We know camels weren't domesticated until long after Abraham. Well, with this, they were able to go back, realizing the picture form was actual writing, because here's an Egyptian demonic, Middle Egyptian language, and here is Greek. Ptolemy wrote this, one of the generals under Alexander the Great, his family inherited Egypt, so he wanted to be sure everybody knew he was the boss, and so this says it. It says it in Greek, so all the Greeks knew it. It says it in Middle Egyptian, so all those who still spoke that cultural language knew it. And it says it in the ancient Egyptian hieroglyphic. He wanted them all to know he was in charge. And now we, people began to rush to Egypt and read all the things, and they could find what Moses had been taught then. Moses had been taught evolution, by the way, folks. Well, some of these writings indicate man evolved from the worm that is left annually after the flooding of the Nile River region. By the way, that's the common man evolved, they claim. They claim the Pharaoh came from the sun god. I mean, they had something special for Pharaoh. And then these liars, also buried in the ground, the record of their rules. Now stop and think about this. You're Pharaoh. You just got yourself a bunch of henchmen. Or you're, you're not Pharaoh. Let's, let's wait now. Let's get back a little farther. You're not Pharaoh. You got yourselves a bunch of henchmen coming together. And you decide you're going to bump off Pharaoh and take over. So you, you get your men to sneak in to Pharaoh's chambers and you kill him. And you better do something quick. Because all those peasants, they're not going to follow you. They don't know who you are. Pharaoh, that's who they knew. So what the Pharaohs did was what Stalin did. 
they went back, changed all the old markings on the old pyramids and, or anything else they could change it on, and they said, my family's been ruling for 2,000 years, so you better do what I say because we've been here all along. Big liar, he just killed the Pharaoh, but those guys out there in the, out, out there in the desert, they didn't ever see Pharaoh anyway. They didn't know what he looked like, so this guy says, we've been around 2,000 years, and, and dynasty after dynasty we've been ruling, so you better do what we say. Well, he didn't know the guy was lying. Stalin changed history recently, and the pharaohs were changing history back then. You know, you better watch out when you believe the lies. So these historians, these archaeologists, they dig these guys up, and they want to make this dynasty of the Egyptians trace man back to 60,000 years ago. But I say a bunch of nonsense. I don't believe them. I believe what the Bible says. They're all liars. So watch out for what's buried in the ground. When it's dug up, I'm going to take what God says. It is interesting, though, so many things we find dug up do confirm scriptural accuracy. The places of the cities, go dig here in the desert and you find them. Moses and his wisdom, demonstrated now from the studies of Egypt. Another problem we have is the archaeologists and historians want to trace man's development as Stone Age, Bronze Age, Iron Age. You know, we come into the Steel Age now where you get harder and harder metals. And they say, well, man was ignorant to begin with. All he had was... Stone. And he made all his tools out of stone. Well, you go back and read the Bible there in Genesis 4, and you see they had metal workers right there at the time of Cain. I mean, man, not stupid. God created us in his image. Even fallen man was working metals before the flood of Noah. But no, the modern evolutionists want to say those people are so stupid they didn't know what to do. They, all they knew about was stone. Because they find plenty of evidence that certain cultures, all they had were stone tools. You know why they had, all they had was stone tools? Open your Bible up and take a look in Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 19 through 20. I'll tell you why they, all they had was stone. Because if you read there in, in Samuel, those Philistines, they didn't want those Israelites having any hard metal. They took all the smiths out of there. They said, you all are not going to have this kind of tough metal. We'll let you have this. This is brass. And if you know much about the alloy basis of metals, uh, copper... They could have copper. It's copper. Solomon had copper, and he had harder metals too, but uh, they, they had copper. Because copper is a nice, workable metal. You can make dishes out of it and many other things. We make electrical components out of it. So you can have copper. It's very soft because you can't make a weapon out of copper. You can have stones because you can't make a very good weapon out of stones. But you don't get any iron. So the Philistines controlled all the iron. You see, it was not a pre-iron age or any such nonsense. It was a conquered people who could, who, we don't let people have nuclear weapons, do we? Does that mean they let, I could just see it. If the Lord does not return and say 2,000 years later, in time somebody unearths a culture that didn't have a nuclear weapon, and they say, well, look at that. They must have lived 200,000 years before these Americans. No, we didn't let them have them. That's all it means. And so the Philistines wouldn't let the Israelites have iron. And when David fled from King Saul, remember how hard it was for him to find a sword? He finally got Goliath's sword because all they had was this flimsy stuff. You go against the Philistines with that, that cuts you to bits, you see. So there is no, there is no succession of periods of development like that in man. They're all living at the same time, but whoever conquered had the good stuff. And everybody else had what was left. And whoever conquered had the nice, pretty, sparkly stuff. 
Everybody else had what's left. And if you weren't very valuable to them, all you had was stone. And that didn't mean you lived way before them. That means you could live right at the same time they lived, but they wouldn't let you have anything. The Rosetta Stone, the Behistun Cliff Rock, which then unlocked the language of Persia. Henry Rollins, in 1853, kept noticing these big markings up on this cliff. He hung out over the cliff in terribly strong winds at great danger to his own life and carefully copied all the writing down. And there was the ancient Babylonian cuneiform type languages. Ancient Babylonian. And they, no one knew what, they, what it said. Next to it was the old Elamite language. No one could read it. All it was a bunch of scratches to them. But over next to that was the old Persian language, which could be read. So there in that region of Persia, this British soldier hanging over the cliff copies it all down, and they send it back to England and begin to decipher and unlock the coded language of the old Elamites and then the Babylonians before them. And then archaeologists rush to the Middle East to begin digging and uncovering all these things that they found there. And what we find is a confirmation of exactly what the Bible says. Unless it's some liar buried it in the ground. And I'm going to take the Bible first over all of it because I've already seen too much lying. I've already been fooled by too much lying. I've already personally been caught up in too much of the mythology. And so I don't believe that the Dead Sea Scrolls are going to reveal anything more that we need to know about the Bible. Now, I don't mind finding historic things like this. Of course, they're bigger than this, you understand. I couldn't afford anything bigger than this, so I had to buy the little one. They got bigger ones they sell you over there in Israel and all other. So I bought a little miniature replica of it all when I was over there. But the Dead Sea Scrolls, you know who the Quamarine community was living there before the time of Christ, maybe 100 years or so before Christ up until they finally had to leave because their cistern cracked. They didn't have any water. And they're out in the desert, and they collected water in this big undercavern uh, you know, cavern underground that they had dug out right into the stone and they collected their water and could live there year round even in the dry season then it cracked some kind of earthquake some kind of settling of the rock caused a crack all their water was gone they had to leave they left behind there in that dry arid region there, some, some of the, in, the, in their haste to get out of there and get to where they could have food and water and they left a lot of the writings now we go back and find out who they were and what they were I'll tell you what they were they were Christian scientists I mean, they, they, of course, they didn't call themselves that. Christ hadn't come. But I mean, when you read what they wrote, they were Jewish Gnostics. They were a cult group of the Jews. Now, I'm not going to use the Dead Sea Scrolls to improve what God's preserved. Because I know that's a cult group. I am excited to see that they did confirm that our scriptures are accurate. But if they didn't, I could care less. Because I know they're nothing but a cult group. And I don't want the Jehovah's Witnesses setting the standard for what's the word of God today. And I don't want the Quammen community of the Dead Seas setting the standard of what's the Old Testament. Because I don't trust those people. I trust what God said he would do. He's preserved his churches, which have preserved his word by being the pillar and ground of truth. So whenever I want to know what the truth is, I don't go back, have to go back to some kind of dig. This one right here is a, called the Geezer Calendar, one of the... It's an actual reproduction of it. A little schoolboy back in Israel in those days uh, marked out here in ancient Hebrew the, in his studies as he was learning the seasons and months of the years in the school of that time. I don't have, I don't have to go back to that kind of stuff. I just got to open my Bible. Now, like I said, I get excited about this. I love to study this kind of stuff. But it's the Bible that gives me the greatest excitement. 
I mean, that, that's where it all really is. That's where the truth all of it is. That's where we want to come for ultimate and complete comparisons. That's where I learned about how the Indians got here. Don't, don't, don't let any Mormon tell you some other kind of nonsense. I mean, these Mormons got a story, story and a half. They claim that the Jews came over here. I was witnessing to one Mormon one day. He was an attorney. And he's saying to me, well, what do you think happened to the lost tribes of Israel? But to real, be real blunt with you, if you read the Old Testament, they were all wicked and rebellious against God. They were evil and rotten people. And who cares? However, the Bible does tell us. They got, they got absorbed into a lot of the Persian and surrounding cultures of the land there. And if they did come to America like the Mormons say, then who would want to believe those heathen anyway? Because those people were in downright, complete, outright rebellion against God when they went into captivity. And that's why they went into captivity. And God brought the faithful back to Israel. And so I'm not going to look to some heathen coming to America under any circumstance for any guidance as to what God says. But the Mormons, they got a story and a half to tell you about the history of America. Just don't believe it. I don't believe the stuff dug out of the ground. I'll tell you what I'm going to believe. Right here. And one more thing, just to show you how old this earth is. Well, I'm done because i got about a couple minutes left. I'm finished. I had my calculus class this past year. Calculate the size of the universe. Took an approximate measure of its diameter. And we took... I think it was Jimmy Hall. Some of you know Jimmy Hall. He's a real tough guy in my school. I mean, he's a weightlifter, and he's, he's a decent kind of kid. We took, I said, Jimmy, all right, what do you weigh, Jimmy? We calculated his volume based on his weight using the density of humanity. It's about one gram per cubic centimeter because we float almost even in water, so we're about that. And using that, then we calculate his volume. We said, well, here's how much volume you are, and you divide that into the size of the universe... And you can find out the entire universe can only hold, well, it's right there on the back page, where I did all the, I gave you a little background on the calculations. The universe can only hold seven with 78 zeros after it, people. But if mankind has been alive on the earth and has only grown at the rate of one half percent per year, today the growth rate is significantly above that. Today's growth rate is about 2%. And it's only grown at one half percent growth rate per year for a million years only. There should be so many people alive today. One, or I got the two with 2,166 zeros after people should be alive today. Remember, the universe only holds one with 100 zeros after, or 78 zeros after. There's not enough volume in the universe packing people in like sardines in a can to hold all the people who should be alive if evolution's really true and we've been here just a million years. And they say the earth is five billion years old. What a bunch of nonsense, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't match mathematics or anything else. It's all a lie. But I'll tell you what, with a half percent population growth rate in 4,500 years since the time of Noah, you can produce five billion people. Mathematics in total harmony with what God says. Because really, if we want to know what true mathematics is, it is simply a symbolic representation of what we observe. And when we look out around us, we are just watching God work. And so our true, correct math and our scientific observations are going to harmonize with what God says he's doing in his word. You can believe what God says he does, and if you'll observe carefully, you will see he does exactly as he says. Anthropology, the study of man... It's been a downhill run. And the real issue of man is not red, yellow, black, and white. 
It's not male and female. Those aren't the great divisions of mankind. The great divisions of mankind are given to us in the Bible. He that believeth on him, Christ, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. If your anthropology ends with any other conclusion or any other division of mankind, then you got something messed up. It's not male, female. Oh, those are, maybe we could say, minor divisions to some extent or differences. It's not red, yellow, black, and white. It's those that are believers in Christ who have the promise of the fulfillment of all that will come to pass in the Lord and those who are condemned already and in rebellion against God. That's the great division of mankind, and modern anthropology will never tell you that. They're in rebellion against that. So God gave us something to bypass all our educators and get us to the real truth. If the educator doesn't agree with this, then I don't believe what he said.